welcome to Voices in Between, the podcast with international voices on education and diversity. This is Christoph Knoblauch meeting educational experts and discussing perspectives in between ideas of true and false. So this is Professor Knoblauch speaking. We're at Ambedkar University in Delhi. It's another sunny day. It's um, the 1st of October and with me is Dr. Dar. Um, she has a PhD in childhood studies, but she's going to introduce herself um, quickly. We're going to talk about the idea of cultural relativism, cultural diversity in education today. Hi, uh, I am uh, Anandini Dar and I am a faculty member at the School of Education Studies at Ambedkar University, Delhi. Um, I've been teaching here for two years and my specialization has been in looking at uh, marginalized youth and how they make sense of their daily life. And I teach courses around educational thought, as well as something which is very unique to AUD, uh, which is um, a course on global childhoods, uh, where we examine issues around um, global norms and how they impact local experiences. I'm glad to have to be here with you today. <laughs> Um, could you speak up a bit so um, we, sure. we uh, make sure that uh, we can hear you? So cultural relativism um, is something that um, certainly strikes us in the German educational um, context in various ways, um, especially topics of migration, um, refugee migration, came to kindergartens and elementary school systems. Um, so. What are the main topics mm -hmm. connecting to cultural relativism and cultural diversity in an Indian educational context? Sure. So this idea of cultural relativism, I think, is a debate that emerged, um, you know, in the 80s when, you know, the, this exchange of flow of ideas became much more common. So, and particularly in context of education and children's rights. So how do we think of what is essential as a basic need or right for a young child in a particular location and context where your social environment, your cultural environment uh, is extremely distinct, where maybe your, um, your language that you speak at home is very different from what's taught in school or even one that is proposed um, through global or national standards. So um, cultural relativism tries to look at what are the varied ways in which uh, we can begin to take culture and the diversities of culture that children have into a classroom or into laws that pertain to children's rights. Um, so for instance, uh, when we look at early child development policies for health, um, how do we you know, plan um, a culturally relative uh, educational or child health policy in, in the Indian context um, when we're adopting the global UN Convention on the Child Rights. Um, how do we make sure that, you know, when we have a policy that breast milk is the best or that milk is extremely essential for the development of the growth of babies and infants, um, how do we ensure that that milk is actually um, reaching these children where they don't have access to milk. So we, you know, co big corporations and companies will bring out uh, powdered milk. But many times what we notice that in certain areas, they don't even have clean drinking water 
that they can mix with this powdered milk to feed the children. So these kinds of issues come up when we begin to think of culturally relativist policies that are required for children um, in certain areas where access is not the same as uh, in urban cities, let's say. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you've been uh, mentioning health as uh, one point. Um, certainly an important point in the German system is the question of biases towards other groups, maybe cultural defined groups or religious defined groups. Um, do you see similarities here? Are there um, certain biases which the educational system has to deal with? Absolutely. Um, you know, Delhi itself um, is a huge hub for migrant population. In sort of recent years, there has been an influx of migrants from Chhattisgarh, Orissa, uh, and it's being defined as what is called the rural to the urban migrant flight. And this includes children along with families. So they'll come to construction sites or uh, will, will come and stay in resettlement colonies or slums, as they are called, or bastis. Um, and they, you know, find it very difficult to enroll their children in schools. One, because of the lack of having a particular ID of proof of residence. And schools, while the Right to Education Act in India itself um, suggests that there should not be any sort of need for documentation for the admission of children, you will find schools still defy it. And children ha you know, find it difficult to get access to any basic education. And even when there is a category such as the, it's called the EWS category, which is for the economically weaker sections, there is a 25% reservation in schools from the early grades where you can admit your student if they're coming from an economically weaker section into a private school. What ends up happening many times in these schools is that teachers are not trained um, to adjust to these different populations. Um, when a child from an economically weaker section in class, you know, in grade one, is sitting with someone else who's coming from a very rich family, you see the differences despite the uniformity of wearing the same clothes. So the food they might bring to the classroom, how well polished their shoes are. And these things trigger, in some ways, bias amongst children. Um, they might bully th these children a little bit. And teachers have not been trained on how to deal with encouraging and ensuring that um, this diversity is used towards a more productive means than sort of labeling back and resisting and pushing back those who are even slightly different. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay, that have been um, two very interesting examples. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to meet you back on Voices in Between.